Welcome to episode number 159 of the Pioneering Today podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the biggest mistakes or things I wish I had known and therefore known to do differently on our homesteading journey. And I share these in the hopes that it will help you not make these same mistakes so that your homestead and your journey to creating the homestead of your dreams goes a bit more smoothly than ours did. So I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, and you are listening to the Pioneering Today podcast. And this is where we share, teach, and inspire you to create a homegrown pantry, kitchen, and life with or without the full-on homestead. For my long-time and repeat listeners, high five. So glad to have you back. And if you are a brand new listener, welcome. We always love to have new people experiencing and learning about this way of life with it because it's always more fun when you've got more people joining you on the journey. So if you enjoy this episode and or this podcast, which hopefully it's a yes to both, I would be ever so grateful if you share this with someone else who you think could benefit from it as well. So let's dive into some of those mistakes and how to avoid them that we've had on our homesteading journey. The first mistake that I wish we had done or not done from the very beginning, whichever way you want to look at it, is keeping better records. When we first moved on to our homestead, so we have been on our permanent, hopefully our forever homestead, since 2006, so over 12 years. And when we got our land, it's the family land that had been in my family for two generations. So it was my grandparents, and then it was my uncles, and then we purchased our property from my uncle. But the portion of property that we purchased when we started our homestead was completely raw, meaning there was no well, there was no septic, there was no house, there was some pasture, some forest, and a whole lot of brush. On one hand, it was nice because we got to pick and design every single aspect of everything. And on the other hand, it was a lot of work. But we got to choose where we wanted the house to go where we wanted to put in the garden bed, do a brand new garden, where we wanted to put our orchard in. The con of that is we didn't have a whole lot of money. And therefore, we purchased little tiny trees when we were putting in our orchard because the younger or the smaller the tree, usually the cheaper the price is when you're going to purchase them and put them in. But then you've got to wait longer. So you have to wait more years before you get your harvest. Well, when we first put in our trees for our orchard, we didn't do such a hot job because we planted them in late winter, early spring before all of the maples had leafed out on our property. So when all of the maples finally leafed out and summertime hit when our orchard or your fruit trees or bushes need full sun, they were blocked by shade which meant the following year, they didn't do very good. They were in too much shade. The following year, we had to move them, which pretty much set us back a whole year as far as the harvest goes because we had to interrupt the roots and their growth system, and it stunts them when you have to transplant them. Now, they all made it. They were all fine. I didn't lose any of them, but I did lose another year and the work of having to move them. 
But the big thing was we added to our mini orchard as we had fun. So over those first three to four years, we would add in new trees as we could purchase them every spring. Generally, that's when we plant our trees here is when the ground is thawed out enough before everything's leafed out. So when it's still in its dormancy. And so that would be really late winter or very early spring here. And this is where the record keeping. So you kind of got a bonus tip there. Make sure that you really evaluate everything around when you're putting in your garden and when you're putting in orchards, berry plants, anything like that, that you take into account as the seasons change, if that's going to impact where you have chosen. So shade on trees that aren't leafed out yet, buildings, because in the summer months, the sun shifts, right? So you want to make sure that as it shifts, there's not going to be anything else that's blocking that sunlight. But going back to record keeping, I did not write down the varieties of the different fruit trees that we put in. I've got a cherry tree that I have no idea what variety it is. Same thing with a plum. Now, once they start producing, you can look and find images of the fruit that comes close. But usually there's a few different varieties that are going to look very similar. So it's hard to know exactly what variety I've got. And where this becomes a problem is troubleshooting. So I have one cherry tree that produces blossoms. So I've got a lot of blossoms, but I'm not getting very many cherries on it. And it's now it's matured enough. It's definitely of age where I should be getting cherries from it. When you've got a lot of blossoms, but you don't have a lot of fruit, that's usually a pollination issue and a cross-pollination issue. So not just a bee pollination issue, though that sometimes can be the case, but it's usually because you need another variety to cross-pollinate it in order for it to form fruit. And because I don't know what variety of cherry tree I have, because I did not write it down, I thought... Oh, the follies of our youth. I'm going to remember, yeah, 12 years from now, I'm going to remember what all of these different varieties are. And of course, I don't. So I tried to find a wide window pollinator cherry tree variety, meaning that it's got a longer blossom time because you can have two varieties of a cherry tree, two different varieties. And if they're not blooming at the same time, they're not going to cross pollinate each other, right? So I purchased a sand cherry and put that in with the hopes that the blossom times will coordinate and that it will help pollinate. And we'll see because I just put that other cherry tree in. So the moral of this story is keep records. Even when you don't think you need to keep records, you are certain that you're going to remember. There's no way you could forget. Years down the road, you're going to remember. Just take a record down. A really fast and easy way to do that, most of us have smartphones, cell phones with cameras. Just take a quick picture of it, and then you can go back later and actually record that in. Because a lot of times I'm out in the field, literally out in the field, or out in the garden, out with the plants, and I don't have a pencil. I'm not carrying around a planner with me, right? Or a homesteading binder all of the time. Usually none of the time. I'm usually busy doing it, but I need to record those things. And then somehow between doing the work and getting back into the house, I forget to record it. If you just take a picture of it with your cell phone, now if it's a tag on the tree, that's going to definitely help. But sometimes it can be you want to know for your crop rotation 
companion planting, that type of thing, where certain crops are for the year. So you can go back last week's episode, which was number 158. I talk about that more in depth on one, evaluating your fall crops, how to improve your harvest from next year and what to do in fall now. And one of those is actually taking some record of where your crops are so that come springtime, you can do your proper crop rotation. So you can go and check that episode. I'll link to it in the show notes as well. And if you're new to access the show notes, so on my blog, on the website, every podcast episode has a full blog post that goes with it for those of my listeners who like to be able to have a written reference, or some people just prefer to read it. They don't like to listen to podcasts. I totally respect them, and I have a written blog post for them. But if you're listening to this, obviously you're a podcast listener, and I am a podcast listener. I love being able to have the podcast playing while I'm driving, while I'm doing housework, while I'm out in the garden, while I'm out pruning, while I'm canning, pretty much while I'm doing anything I like to be able to listen, so I feel like I'm getting two things done at once, and it's really the only way that I have time to listen to podcasts is if I can do that while I'm doing other things. There's no way I have time to go and read a lot of the blog posts from some of the websites and even the podcast people. I love to listen to their stuff. I just don't have enough hours in a day. Can I get an amen to go and read all of that? But listening while I'm doing my other work, oh yeah, can totally do that. So Long story short, with that whole little side rant there, is if you want to go and dive further into stuff or check out some of the links of things that I'm referencing, you can always do that for every single episode on the blog. So for today, you can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 159 because this is episode number 159, and you'll find it all written out there for you, and then you'll see the resource section that has links to anything that I'm talking about, including past episodes. Better record keeping, and not just when you're planting certain varieties, especially your perennials from my story of our orchard, but also when it comes to livestock, when it comes to expenses, you might not be raising livestock yet. Some of you, that's a goal. That's what you want to be doing is to be able to raise livestock. Some of you are raising some, but you want to increase and be able to raise more. And others are you like, I'm just going to kind of stick to the plants right now. Not ready to dive into livestock. But whether or not it is livestock or it is crops that you're producing, I think it's really good, and I wish we had done it sooner, and that is to keep track of our expenses. Now, whether or not you are deducting these from your taxes, that's going to depend on a conversation with you and whoever does your taxes and where you live, how you have things set up. But knowing how much it's costing you, it's important. It's important to have a realistic knowing exactly what it's costing But then on the flip side, to also keep track, so all of this just comes back to record keeping, keeping track of your harvest or your savings. So how much did you harvest this year from those berry plants? How much did you harvest from your vegetable garden? And not just the fresh eating, though I will keep a little bit of a record of fresh eating, but I really like to keep track, and this comes when we're harvesting our eggs, when we're harvesting our meat, and definitely our vegetables, is keeping track of how much I actually put up. How much did I preserve? And this is going to go into our next tip, but I think it's important for us to see because then you can do the math and you can see, okay, I put up 50 
jars of tomato sauce this year from the tomatoes that we grew. And I didn't have any expense other than the electricity that it costs to run my grow light to start my tomatoes in the house. And I had already purchased that grow light and I've had that same grow light, I think, for five years now. So if you wanted you to, you could divide the math into that initial purchase for how many years you've had it. Same thing with our greenhouse that we use to grow our tomatoes in. It's actually a high tunnel. It's not a heated greenhouse, but same thing. Go back the five years, divide out five into that, and that'll tell you how much your cost is per year. And obviously, the more years you're using something, the less it costs you every year, which I love. And then seed saving means I don't have to purchase my tomato seeds. And I reuse the same pots every year, just sanitize them and clean them that I start my tomatoes in. So just the soil purchase of potting soil, because I do use potting soil indoors and especially with my seedlings. But for very little cost, I had 50 jars of tomato sauce canned. And I estimate that those jars cost me with the cost of lids, which I have now been buying in bulk for even better savings. And I try to wait until I go on sale. I estimate it's about 20 cents a jar my cost. And I reuse those glass jars years upon years. Some of my glass jars are decades old. And if I had to go to the store and purchase in a glass jar, organic, heirloom, vine ripened, tomato sauce without anything added to it other than our acid in order to keep it safe. So citric acid or bottled lemon juice, how much would that cost me? Because I think it's motivating and it's also good for us to know the exact financial cost. Now, there are some things that just can't be figured into financial cost. That is the know how to do it, the self-reliance, the satisfaction, the teaching my children how to do it. There are some things you just can't put a price tag on, but there are some things that we can. So having those records is really going to show you if you're saving money. And if you're not saving money, it's going to let you look back at those expenses or things that you're doing and see, okay, well, what do I need to improve on or fix in order to save me more money to make this more cost effective? But I have to say, since we started keeping records, that it has always been cheaper for us to raise it at home. And that comes both to our livestock. So figuring out pound for pound on what we actually harvest and how much it costs us. Even when we're buying the animal and we're buying some of the feed, it's still been cheaper for us to do it than if we were to be able to buy that same meat in the store. Now, one of the other mistakes that I have made, and I'm sure you have made this mistake too. In fact, I would be really surprised if not every single person, every home has done this at one point or another. But that is, I have wasted food. My hand is raised. I'm pretty sure yours is too. And I hate that. It bugs me. Either it's hard-earned money or it's hard-earned work if I've grown it myself. And I hate it when I find fresh produce or food that somehow got shoved to the back of the freezer and either is so freezer burnt, there's just no way that it's usable anymore. And especially in the fridge where it's moldy or it's liquefied, like you found it so late, you're like, I don't even know what this was to begin with. That's no fun either. Then you have to clean everything. But I hate that. I hate having to throw out food that went to waste because I was not planning properly. And this goes back to keeping a record of our harvest. Rather, if it's in the freezer, now if it's canned and dehydrated, it has a much longer shelf life, so it's not really going to go perishable. 
But when I first bring that food in, sometimes I will put it in the fridge to deal with later. Either I think I'm going to use it fresh, and if not, well, then I'll preserve it before it goes bad, and that doesn't always happen. Or I'll purchase things at the grocery store to supplement our home food stores that we've preserved and put up ourselves with the intention of using it. Obviously, that's why I bought it in a recipe, but then I don't. So I am now doing a running inventory of the food that we have preserved, the food that's in the freezer, my spices, all of that. And then I go and I am meal planning and making our meals from that food. Now that sounds so basic, basic meal planning, right? Nothing new there, not rocket science, but actually doing it and having those inventory sheets to pull from, again, record keeping, has been really, really helpful. And the other thing, sometimes I get so focused on preserving all of the food. As it's coming in from the garden, I don't want it to go bad. I want to get it in its preserved form so that it's done. I'm checking things off my list. And this is going to maybe sound odd. I don't know if I'm the only one that does this. But sometimes I forget to just cook with the food while it's fresh and while it's here and not focus too much on the preserving aspect. And that's really where our seasonal living comes in. And that's using the food while it's fresh and then preserving up the excess. And sometimes when you're only cooking with some foods when they're in season, because I don't go and buy a lot of food out of season when it comes to fresh produce. So when we've got summer zucchini coming on and I've got lots of fresh basil in the garden and fresh tomatoes ripened on the vine, we are using those things during the summer. I'm also preserving them for later use. But generally speaking, throughout the rest of the year, I really don't ever buy vine ripened tomatoes at the store. I rarely buy a zucchini at the store. So consequently, some of my recipes or some of the things that I make with those fresh, I'm only making them once a year. And if I don't have a good system of record keeping for my recipes, I tend to forget about some of the recipes that we love. And if I'm lucky, I'll rediscover them maybe a few years down the road. And then my family and I are like, oh my goodness, We used to have this all the time and I loved it. I can't believe I forgot about this for so long. So keep record of favorite recipes and any alterations that you make to those recipes. So aside from canning and preserving, because those are not where we get to be creative. Those are where we need to follow those tested ratios and guidelines. But with regular cooking, recipes are kind of just like a guideline. I ad lib a lot based on what I have, what flavors I'm going for. I rarely make a recipe the exact same way every single time. But there's a lot of times when I'll make a tweak to the recipe and I'm like, oh, this was so good. This was like a great, I've got to remember to do this next time. But I don't write it down. Therefore, when I go to make it the next time, that memory, right? I don't remember the exact way that I tweaked it, and it never tastes the exact same. So not only should you keep good records of your recipes and keep those recipes, especially for things that you don't make all of the time or only you make in season, make a note when you make a tweak or a change right then and there, that night when you eat it, and you're like, yes, this is so much better. Write it down because I promise, my friend, you will forget it later. Next up on my list of mistakes, 
And I kind of actually had two mistakes in that first story I shared with you when we were talking about putting in our orchard and how it got set back by at least an extra year having to move everything. And that is sometimes I get so excited to do something that I just jump in with both feet and I do it without doing proper research. Now, there's a flip side to this. You can research something to death. You can learn about something and read about something and listen to podcasts about something. But if you never do it, it's not doing you any good. So there's a fine line between having proper research or a proper understanding of something, especially when it's something new that you haven't done before and doing it. And then there's also where you just learn and you learn and you learn about it, but then you actually never do it. Now for us with the orchard, if I had spent a little bit more time on the research end on making sure I had put them in an area where they were getting enough sunlight and really truly understanding cross-pollinating and how that works, not just having varieties that will cross-pollinate each other, but also the bloom times, I would have saved myself a lot of angst, hence that record keeping. But also if I had just had that knowledge up front instead of just diving in and buying trees and not doing proper research. So I have to say one of my mistakes is sometimes getting ahead of myself and not getting a good grasp or just good basic knowledge moving forward with something. And that's why, honestly, this podcast, my books, if you have either of my books, The Made from Scratch Life and Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made from Scratch Living, you will read about quite a few of my failures. But on the flip side, you learn what not to do, and then I get to share with you the correct way to do it to avoid those mistakes. And that's my goal with my books, with the emails that I send out to, with the podcast episodes, definitely with inside the Pioneering Today Academy, is one, so that you don't feel alone if you had those made those mistakes, because everybody has made mistakes. But two, to help you avoid those mistakes so that you get success just that much sooner. This is a mistake that I've made, and I'm pretty sure all of us have made it, and not necessarily just within our homesteading journey. I think this really applies to all aspects of our life, but that's the comparison game. Now, I do love the age of the internet and social media because I'm getting to connect with you that way. I get to connect with so many cool people, people who are living this life no matter where they're at, all over, not just the United States, which obviously is where I'm from, but all over the globe. And it is so inspiring and it's so much fun to find people who have the same desires and the goals as we do because not everybody gets mason jars and growing your own food and using natural herbal remedies. Like to modern society, Some of them might think we're kind of odd. So when you find other people that get this, it is so awesome. You're like, yes, I found my people. But on the flip side of that, a lot of times we come into that comparison game. So we look at what other people are doing or what their homestead looks like or what they're producing and what they're harvesting. And a lot of times we can feel inferior or that we're not doing enough. Like, oh my goodness, they did all of that wow, I don't even come close to that. So while I think it's a good thing to be surrounded by other people who can help us and inspire us, I think it's really important that we do not compare where we're at now 
with where someone else is at because we all come from different starting points. I've been very blessed. I'm a fifth generation homesteader in a lot of areas. I was raised this way. So I feel like I can't say I came out of the womb knowing it, but it was something that was just natural in a part of my childhood. For other people, they're coming into this in adulthood and at different places of their adulthood. Some people are just are starting it when they're first starting their family and they've got young kids. Other people are doing it as they are easing into retirement so that they can teach their grandkids. I mean, everybody's coming at it from a totally different place. So I really think it's important that we don't compare our journey. And this is not just with homesteading, though definitely with homesteading, but it can be in different aspects of our life with someone else's. I think the truly the only way for us to accurately do a comparison is to look at where were we last year? How much did you grow last year? Were you able to grow more this year? Did you have less disease? Did you have a healthier garden? Did you put more plants in? Were you able to preserve more than you did last year? Have you learned about a new herb? Do you have a new natural remedy that you're using than you did the year before? Those are really the only true and accurate ways to measure your success and your growth and where you're at. So please don't get caught up because I do it with where other people are at and what they're doing. So look at where you were at before. And a year is a good measurement because most of us can look back a year and say, yeah, I was doing this last year and now I'm here. And you can go back further. Look five years ago and look how far you've come. But only do it with how far you've come, not where other people are at. Now we're on to our verse of the week, which happens to be in Romans chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 24. And this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. All are justified and made upright and in right standing with God, freely and gratuitously by his grace, his unmerited favor and mercy, through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation by his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. It was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies and accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our pride and our boasting? It is excluded, banished, ruled out entirely. On what principle? On the principle of doing good deeds? No but on the principle of faith. That was more than one verse. That was actually Romans 3, 24 through 27. But I thought it was very fitting passage to share when we were talking about comparison. And obviously this has to do with our faith, not talking necessarily about our homestead harvest. But I chose this because sometimes we will compare ourselves to others and feel inferior And other times we might compare ourselves to others and feel kind of prideful, kind of boastful, like, look at what I'm doing or look at how much healthier I am because of insert whatever. And with our faith, I think that happens too sometimes. I think sometimes we think, well, I'm a good person. 
I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing whatever it is you want to put in. And we know that we are saved by faith and not works, but we don't always remember that. So I thought this verse just was very fitting as it reminds me, and maybe you need this reminder. I definitely need this reminder that no matter what side of the coin you fall on, whether you are feeling inferior or comparing yourself to others and not feeling good enough, or maybe you're looking at yourself and being a little bit too prideful. Now, there's nothing wrong in looking what you have done and feeling a amount of healthy pride. So if you have grown a garden and preserved your food and it is sitting up in the cupboards and mason jars and you look at that and you are filled with pride and satisfaction of a job well done, there is nothing wrong with that. But if you're looking at those jars of those homegrowns and you're thinking, well, look at how much I did and so-and-so, they just buy everything from the store. They just go through the drive-through. That's when it kind of becomes a problem. And it's the comparison game no matter which side you're on. So just remember to only compare to yourself and where you were previously and not anywhere else. And that we have the good Lord's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness when we do happen to fall back into that comparison trap and pride and to move forth with the principle of faith and knowing that you will do great things and every year you are going to be learning and doing a little bit more. I want to thank you for letting me be a part of your homesteading journey. I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to being back here with you next week. And I also would love to know what you would like to hear more about on the podcast. So if there are some areas that you're struggling or you're just curious about things, maybe you're curious about the way we do different things on the homestead, I would love to know it. So shoot me an email, put it in the reviews. If you're on iTunes or Stitcher, pop that in the reviews. I read all of those and I can see it there. Or hit me up on social media and say, hey, I got a podcast idea. I would love to hear them. Thank you guys so much. And until we meet again next week.